Everyone suspects judgment's coming. Our text this morning is drawn from Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing upon us this morning. We pray that you'd help us to rightly discern your word. We pray that you would help us to understand it and to do it, for we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When you buy a car, you're offered all kinds of options. Do you want a stick shift or automatic transmission? Black or brown, leather seats, sunroof, video player, Sirius XM. People like options because they choose to accept them or not. God's judgment is coming. We don't have the option to negotiate its timing and terms because he is holy. And he sets his own terms and timing. This morning we'll see in Romans chapter 2 that judgment's not an option. Judgment's not an option. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 1. Romans 2, verse 1. And the Apostle Paul begins off here in verse 1. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on one another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Now I want you to notice something here as we jump into this text. It can be very hard to understand. But the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Rome. He's writing to the church in Rome. And yet he speaks of those that may be in their midst who are not believing. Who have a wrong view of salvation. Who have a wrong view of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who have a wrong view of judgment. Notice he says here, therefore, therefore, you have no excuse. Why the therefore? Well, as we saw last week in verse 32 of chapter 1, Paul said, Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. They not only sin, but they encourage others to go into sin. And so he says here, in passing judgment, you condemn yourself. Now, we could fall into the ditch here. We could go around and be one of those who says, Well, Jesus says, Judge not lest you be judged. And never make any judgments. In fact, that's the claim that a lot of people make against Christians these days. You can't judge. The Bible says you're not supposed to judge. Is that true? Judgment is not bad. But we're highly susceptible to our own blindness of our own sins. And so we've got to be mindful of who we are, our weaknesses, and yet the same Apostle Paul who says these words here... And 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15 says, The spiritual person judges all things, but he is himself judged by no one. I want to say this, friends. Christians are to be those who are to be careful with judgment. Christians are to be those who weigh their own sins out and don't do things in a hypocritical manner. But Christians are those who, according to God's word and his standards, can and should make judgments. And how is judgment carried out? Judgment is for kings. We're supposed to be rising in maturity as royalty. Kids, you're supposed to mature into sages and to be prepared to be vice regents over the cosmos on the last day. You're to mature in judgment as kings, so first we must acquire wisdom and the discipline of kings. Going on to verse 2 here in Romans chapter 2. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? You see, hypocrisy is the focus here for the Apostle Paul. 
And hypocrisy is a terrible thing. The Christian should make a judgment of himself. The Christian should make a judgment of himself, and that includes, first of all, a right appraisal of our own sinful proclivities. And this is where lists like Romans chapter 1 come in. You look at a list like that and you go, well, I'm not a murderer. Oh, I'm not a thief. Dishonoring of parents. Lying. Shading the truth here and there. Looking at those lists and seeing God's holy commands, God's holy standards, puts us in our place and reminds us that we are sinners. Secondly, good judgment should take into account repentance and an unyielding conviction of your forgiveness in Christ. Repentance, turning from your sin, confessing your sin to the Lord, and then being reminded that you have forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I hear an amen to that? Making right judgments should also include a firm desire and action to slay your sin. We don't hear about this much today. We hear a lot about easy grace. We commit sins and then we confess our sins and we're covered under the grace of God. We preach the gospel to ourselves. But do you hear much about mortification? Mortification, the old doctrine of mortos, putting to death the old man in our lives. Not only confessing our sins, turning from our sins and seeking to put those things in our life to death that displease God, making war on the world, the flesh, and the devil because God is bringing judgment. Going on to verse 4. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Friends, each new day is an opportunity to repent. Each new day is an opportunity to turn from your sin and to become more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Each day and each breath is a kindness. You're presuming upon the grace of God. It's His world. The next breath you take is breathing His air. The next step you take on this earth is walking upon the world that He created. The next moment in time that you have to live in this life is by his leave. Each day wasted in unrepentance stores up wrath for the day of God's righteous judgment. Going on to verse 6. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. He will give to each one of us on account of what we do. Have we turned to Christ? Have we trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ? Furthermore, we will also give an account of what we do with the faith that he gives us. What did you do with your life? Kids, what did you do with the salvation that Jesus gives you? Do you say the right thing when you're around Christians, but when the chips are down and someone challenges you in the faith, do you give in to your sins? James chapter 2, verse 26 says, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Friends, the saints have received salvation completely as a gift of God. But we're indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God. And so as the people of God, we produce good fruit. The saints produce fruit. And what is fruit? It's works. Not to earn salvation, but to be the people of God. 
And as we saw on the last day, there will be rewards for the people of God. Jesus will say, you did these things on my behalf. And, and those who are righteous are so caught up in serving the Lord Jesus Christ, they don't have time to go, well, Jesus, you know, I did this on this day and that. And he says, you did these things. And they say, where? And he says, when you, when you fed the poor, when you clothed the naked, you did it to me. But on the flip side, in Matthew 25, verse 44, then the unrighteous come, and then they will also answer saying, Lord, when did you, we see you hungry and thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick and imprisoned and did not minister you? And then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. We've got to weigh these things out in our lives, friends. Again, we're not saved by our works, but the saved produce works the saved are filled with the Spirit of God and desire to do that which is good and right. Works are the evidence of faith. Works do not gain a salvation. Jesus does, but the saved do good works. Going on to verse 9. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also for the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also to the Greek, for God shows no partiality. Judgment falls on the Jew first and then on the Greek, that is, the Gentile. No partiality. All are judged by the same righteous standard, but for some, more knowledge will be held accountable. For the Jew of the first century, more will be held accountable for him than the Gentile who is following after pagan ways. God gave them the covenant God gave them the scriptures. God gave them the temple. They should have sought out God. More will be required for them. And friends, I want to say this. Judgment falls on the Christian first, then on the non-Christian, and you better be found in Christ. You better be found in Christ. We're deep into the church age now. We've got God marching by the Holy Spirit through the kingdom of God for the last 2,000 years through this age. We have the Word of God. We've got the holy body of Christ that has expanded into billions of people. What do we do with it? In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17, it says, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins with us, what shall be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? You know. You have the gifts of God. You have the wondrous gifts of God's grace and salvation. What are we going to do with that here in Buda, Texas? Going on to verse 12. For all have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers who will be justified. Everyone will be judged fairly and with the clean justice of God according to their station in life. For those who have just the moral law, the Ten Commandments, and we're told that that's written on everyone's hearts. The whole world knows the Ten Commandments in its essence. Everybody everywhere knows the bare bones of what is good and right. For those who have the moral law, that will be their standard of judgment. For those who have the law, and friends, for us, in some sense, we have the law. We have the Word of God. We've been given salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ, and now we look at God's holy word and we see the standards for how we are to live. We'll be judged by what we did with it. 
You Christian will not be judged for salvation, but there is a beam of seat judgment where we will come and give an account. And you know, you kids, you think, man, life is long and hard. I don't want to be like mom and dad with their gray hair. That's a million years in the future. But your 80, 85 years on this world, they'll go so quick. I'm now at that point where it's like I'm probably in the last one-third or quarter of my life that went so fast. What did I do for Jesus? What did I do with so great a salvation? I want to stand before him on the last day and for him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Friends, this is the time it counts. Kids, this life is the quest. This is all of what the stories of superheroes and the Lord of the Rings long for. You live it. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? The law should drive you to the cross, and then in Christ you should strive to live out its new covenant applications. Verse 14. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. All know the essence of the law, and the Jews should exceed the Gentiles in righteousness. The Jews should have exceeded the Gentiles in righteousness. And what is the application for us? The Christian should exceed the righteousness of the non-Christian. Under the old covenant, there were those who thought, and probably maybe the majority, they thought, well, I'm, I'm of the 12 tribes. I've got my inheritance in the land. I go to the temple. I offer up my sacrifices. I do all of these things. I'm a good Jew. Isn't that enough? But Micah chapter 6, our Old Testament reading this morning, in verse 6 says, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings or calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Shall I do all these things? Verse 8, he has told you, O man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God? We're to do acts of love. We're to strive to be the hands and feet of Jesus. That's why we're the body of Christ walking in the midst of this age. Coming to church is a good thing. Engaging in worship is a good thing. Reading your Bible and praying are all good things. But it should flow from your heart and your mind out to your hands and feet. We are to be engaging in acts of righteousness and holiness in a radical way. In an age in which people hate the people of God, we should be those who are agents of love and service on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I hear an amen to that? Verse 15. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Being made in the image of God means that even this far out from the fall, God's law still convicts us. Even out this far from the fall, we all have a distinct suspicion there is a God and he's going to judge us. I think the atheists protest too much. If there's no God, then who cares? Go have a good time. Why spend all this time trying to disprove the existence of God? I think they have that deep, deep sneaking suspicion in their hearts that there is a God and they will give an account. 
Judgment's coming. And all of our secret thoughts, our secret sins, the ones we hide from everyone else, the ones we hide even from ourselves, are all known to God and will be judged. But regarding salvation, but regarding salvation, regarding salvation for the Christian, judgment has fallen. Judgment has fallen. It's fallen on the Lord Jesus Christ and he gives you the gift of salvation. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about that? I hope you find yourself under the blood of the Lamb this day and are busily and joyfully serving Him. And if you're out here this morning, you don't know what that means. Come and talk to one of the elders. We'll talk to you about it. Fordodowski's masterwork on the tortured human conscience, crime and punishment, the main character, Raskolnikov, robs and murders an elderly pawnbroker and her sister with an axe. After the deed is done, Raskolnikov becomes increasingly paranoid and racked with guilt until he finally confesses to the murders and accepts his judgment at a prison camp in Siberia. The sons and daughters of Adam share in the rebellion of our forefather when he tried to dethrone the king and failed, and the curses fell on us. We try to hide, try to escape from God, but we can't. Our consciences are racked with guilt and in the deep recesses of our minds, we're paranoid because we know judgment's coming. This morning, we've seen in Romans chapter 2, judgment's not an option. Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray, thanking you, that our judgment has fallen upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, we must live for you, and we confess that we so often fail and fall. We ask that you would bless us and bless us as a congregation in this time and place to press on in the work of sanctification, to engage in the work of mortification of our sin, and to seek to do what is good and right in our time and place. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.